In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we rejoice that our Lord Jesus is returning in glory soon for us. And this, for us, for the Christian, is not a Christful thing or something to worry about. It's, in fact, something joyful and something that we're looking forward to. Jesus, right when he's teaching it, he says, when you see these things happening, lift up your heads. Don't run for the hills. Lift up your in Luke because your redemption draws near. That's, that's what's coming on the last day. That's who's coming on the last day. Heads, Redeemer, the one who loves you. And it won't be long now. The time in this life, the time of you'll bring the time of sorrow, the time of tears and weeping, will soon come to an end. Suffering for that day, we pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We look for that day and we look for that return, and we're ready for that. We long, but we're also, and this is the lesson of the text, we're also ready to wait that return. We we want to have a twofold readiness. This is the lesson that Jesus is giving to us in the parable, and we're gonna. We're headed towards it. I want to get to the parable through the epistle. I want to do a little bit of work on first parable to get there. But we want to get to the point where Jesus says, look, the, the wisdom of the five wise Thessalonians is this. They were ready for the wedding, and they were also ready to wait for the wedding. They had a twofold ready virgin, a now and not yet. If Jesus comes back today, God be praised. If he comes back tomorrow, if he comes back in a thousand years, God be praised. And we want to have that kind of readiness. God be praised. Now, the thing that I, one of the things that assaults that readiness is a Christian obsession with the end times. And I, I want to think about that because my own past, I, you, many of you know that I, for a long time, was in the evangelical church, was particularly in my interested in the dispensational theology, the idea that that in world, the history of world events was unfolding as God had promised in the prophetic books. I, when I was nine, I dropped out of college and was backpacking around Israel to see biblical prophecy unfolding before my 19. I was ready for this thing. I remember, I remember one time I was driving in Albuquerque and listening to my eyes, Christian radio, and the radio station went silent, and I thought, I've missed the rapture. <laughs> to the I mean, I was look, looking at this. I, at some point, I was convinced that the king of Spain was the one world ruler who was going to be the Antichrist. So just th this kind of thing. And, and one, one, the winter in particular, I remember I was convinced by uh, my uncle. He had given this article or text or something that said that, I, I think it was 1998, that Jesus will return. Given me the, in 1998. And I remember I was staying with my grandparents, my family was at Christmas, and they had one of those sort of Swedish calendars on the wall, you know, where it said the month and this for that day and the year. And, and so I was sliding down the days. I would wake up in December 24, December 20, and the, December 26. And I was looking there. There's only, you know, five more days left in the history of the world. 25, four, three, two, one day left. This is December 31st. And I was, I was convinced, absolutely convinced that this was the last world that Jesus would come back. It was, I think, 10 o'clock when we went to bed, and I was like, well, there's just two more hours. Last day of the And then I woke up the next morning, and I thought, oh, that, that, that was hard. That, that moment, I want to try to grab that moment, but I want you to know that when I woke up that morning, I realized that the Lord had not returned. 
I thought, well, maybe it's still December 31st somewhere in the world. Like, and I, Jesus isn't coming back on Central Standard Time or something like that. <laughs> but that, maybe Jesus, did you see? Okay, so there's something that, there's something that happens. There's a lot of wrong things in, in reading the Bible on one hand and the newspaper in the other. There's a lot of wrong things about that approach. The main wrong thing is in, you end up unchecking things that God has checked. You end up undoing promises that God that kept. You say, well, no, this Bible promise hasn't been kept by Jesus, or this Bible promise the Lord hasn't yet met. It's already a dangerous thing to uncheck the, Lord, the things that the Lord has checked. And He's checked off, this is the point, He's checked off everything. And it's a dangerous There's only one thing left. Come in glory. Raise the dead. Divide the sheep and the goats. There's the new heaven and the new earth. The last day is the only thing left on the Lord's checklist. There are no more prophecies to bring about to be fulfilled. But if we, if we start looking at the world as if, as if God hasn't kept all of His pieces, and if He is keeping them in history, then something dangerous happens, not only in the way we look at the world, but in the way we look at promises. But here's the result. Once you are convinced that there's God, promise that God has made, and that promise is not kept, there's a, this causes a deep spiritual conflict. I know that many of you have experienced many times in your own lives. I've been able to walk through a few of these with a number of you. It's this. I can count these times in my own life as well, where I, I thought that God had given me a promise, and uh, I, that promise wasn't kept, and, and, and I had to be either angry with God if God even existed. Then that, and something, something happens spiritually when we get so worked up into seeing the events of the world as fulfillment of biblical prophecies, and then the work doesn't come back. It becomes very dangerous. So what do we do to make sure that we spend a little bit of time in 1 Thessalonians 4 here? What do we think of the text? Because this is one of the main texts. We think just that's used to argue the doctrine of the rapture. The idea that seven years before the great return, the Lord will come back and remove His Christians secretly from the world and then go back to dealing with the of Christ Israel. Uh, remember those left-behind books and TV shows? That's what that was all about, that rapture. And this text is people, as a defense of that, I, I, I want us to see that that's not the thing that Paul is teaching in the text. Paul, is used, Paul had been to the Thessalonians. It was... He was on a second missionary journey. He'd gone to Philippi, over to Thessalonica, and he had preached to them, and then he had had to leave pretty soon, although he was there long enough to tell them that Jesus died, and then turning in glory to raise the living and the dead, to judge the living and the dead, to raise the dead. And, but then a question just was, well, what about the living? What happens to the living when Jesus returns? He kind of rose to now. Like we, we confess that he'll raise the dead, but what if Jesus were to come back today? The dead will be raised, but what happens to us? You can imagine the Thessalonians were wondering about that and thought, well, maybe, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll miss the resurrection together. Or maybe the Lord will kill us and then raise us from the dead. Maybe that was what will happen. They didn't action all the... And so Paul writes to comfort them. Do you want to... You want to pick it up and know 16 at the very bottom of the page of the bulletin. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of a sick angel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Nothing secret here. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Voice of an art. We who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then 
And so we will always be with the, with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. In other words, Paul is telling us that when, even if we're alive when the Lord returns in glory, we not miss the resurrection. He will change us, transform our lowly bodies to be like unto His glory, will not body, so that we can behold Him face to face and partake of the new life that's coming in the resurrection. That's what glorious is. And, and just like all of the other times in the Scriptures where the Lord talks about the second coming, the, the attempt, the promise, not to go to all of the crazy world events that are happening, but to, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's is coming for us, and that's the good news. Now, to go back to that moment of the one who's January 1st, 1999, when I had to to move the calendar to the day that I thought would never exist, the danger when I'm reading world history with the Bible and all these unchecked promises is that while on the of and we might be very excited for the Lord to return in glory now, which is good, and we should be. On one hand, we should be ready for Jesus to come today. Hopefully, before the sermon. <laughs> I mean, really, we have this expectation to come before the end of this, that He's on the way to rescue us. We, we have this, this, this eagerness to see Him in glory. And to Lord Jesus, gathered up together with Him and all the saints. We, that's, it's good. But the danger is when you read the history of events as fulfillment of prophecy is that we're not ready to wait. We're not ready to hold on. We're not ready if he doesn't come back. And that it out is the problem with the five foolish virgins. If the bridegroom turns out come at sunset, it would have been fine. Their lamps would have been burning would have was ready the flowers were all in the hair they had their nice they were all all ten virgins were ready at that moment their hair five foolish ones were not ready to wait and, and this is one of the things that we have to grab a hold of it's a but the, the gift that we've inherited as Lutherans and I want to maybe highlight it for us this morning is that we're we are it's very interested in right now in the in the particular moment that we're living in and the particular people there around us in this particular time but we are also interested in what happened before and what will that live happen. We're not just interested in, in the salvation of this generation, but the next and the next and the next. One of the marks of American Christianity is, is, is that this obsession with what is right now. Next, and, there's, and there's no thought of, of what's coming in the future because there, there is even no future. I mean, Jesus is back, if not this week, the next, and so there's nothing to think of. And that is the foolishness that Jesus is calling out in the parable. Coming back. There were, after all, ten virgins, ten lamps, ten wearable, ten... Jar, little things full of oil. This is what the lamp would look like. The, it, you know, you got oil in there, but it only burns for a couple of hours, and then it's done. They all had a little bit of oil ready. They all had a little oil for that. But, they, but, the, but the five foolish, they were not ready, for, to, they were not ready to wait. They were not ready, they were ready to raise their children in the faith and their grandchildren and their great-great-great-grandchildren. They were not ready for the long, ready to raise Christian life of suffering and, and of praying and of waiting and of, of looking to the Lord and of uh, and all of studying the Scriptures and abiding in Him. They were, the five foolish were like the seeds that were thrown in the rock. And of in the parable, 
the, the sower threw some of the seeds and someone on the path and someone in the remember someone in the good soil, but someone in the rocks, and they, and they it grew up very quickly. It looked like the weeds and spiritual of all. If you were to just walk by a couple of weeks after the seed was thrown, you'd say, "Oh, the most has thrown all the seeds in the rocks. Look at how tall it's grown." But then the but then the long summer came, and the and the, we should have came and it was beating it down and it all withered because it didn't have those roots. It wasn't ready for endurance. The sun, I, I mourn. Carrie and I mourn because so many of our friends from those old evangelicals who were so excited about the Lord and His Word and His return in glory are now not even Christians. They've wandered from the faith or lost it altogether. Like the five foolish virgins not ready to wait. So the Lord Jesus is giving us this since they were an old task today. This twofold readiness. It seems like it's very different, right? Twofold. The excitement of his immediate return. Also the preparedness to wait a long time for the day and glory to and all. And we're ready to wait only when we have oil appear. A key difference between the wise and the foolish virgins is that the wise have a flask of oil. And so we have to say, what does that mean? What does it mean to be ready? This oil is faith worked in the Christian heart by the Word and the Spirit. Oil, when you have the Word of God pressing into your heart His law, His command, expectations, and when you have the Holy Spirit pressing into your heart the promise of forgiveness, his, the promise of the righteousness of Christ, the hope of the life to come, then you are, in fact, ready. When you know that Jesus returning in glory is returning not to judge you, but Jesus come you and to deliver you to bring you into the eternal wedding feast, a wealth lamb that has no end, then you are ready. So, dear saints, we of the less in the wisdom that the Lord Jesus gives us in His promises and in His warning. We rejoice in the oil that He pours into our flasks in the divine service and in the meal, the holy sacrifice, the altar, that we are, by the Holy Spirit, made ready. For Jesus to come back and ready to wait. May God ready for you to grant to us that wisdom. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace God continue. God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.